Yeah, this, I'm at 80 now. This is not wow. hard. Woo. That's, that's a lot for a beginner. Yeah, but I'm not a beginner, remember? Right, you're not. It's just, it's, it's very impressive. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I agree, and my wife does too. Oh, okay. I'm sure she does. Yeah. It's just, it almost seems unbelievable. Unbelievable? You think this is unbelievable? I'm just saying, I just didn't expect you to be at this point so quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, Peter, I just want you to know you don't have to impress me. <laughs> impress you? I hope your head can fit out the door when you walk out. Oh, okay. Uh, I just, I think that it's really important that you're honest with me about where you're at. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be honest, sure. Mm -hmm. Thanks. So, maybe we could take it one step at a time? Yeah, let's just do that. Okay, so, let me try this. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Glad that you're joining us on a cold daylight saving Sunday. Every priest's least favorite Sunday of the year, but it's great to see that all of you are still here and in one piece and made it. Uh, brave the one hour less of sleep and still made it. And you came on a great Sunday because we're in part three of a series called Spiritual Sweat where we are putting our spiritual muscles to the test. The goal of this series is to get back into shape. And we talked about in the very beginning of the series as it coincides with the season of Lent here in our church is that this is a time where we need to kind of go back and kind of break up the fallow ground. That was the expression that we used in week one, which is the soil, fallow ground is soil that used to be fertile and used to have uh, fruit in it and used to have trees, but it's just been left alone for so long that it's gotten kind of crusty and kind of hard and it isn't really fruitful anymore. But what we said is our hearts, even though they may resemble that these days, we need to break up those fallow ground in our hearts, get rid of the complacency, the apathy, some of the stuff that's been kind of taking us in a negative direction. And each week in this series, we're looking at a different spiritual exercise. So last week was the first exercise, and we said that is the foundation of our revival, of seeing God, of relating to God. And that was the exercise of humility. And we talked about humility last week, and the word that I gave to define how do you know if you're humble or not, because we agreed there's like different kinds of humble. There's like outside humble and inside humble. And we focus on the outside, but we don't really care about the outside here in the series because we're going to the roots. Because you can decorate the soil, but unless you dig up the soil and go deep, it's not going to be very fruitful. So how do you know if you are humble or not? What's the, the one sign of humility is correctability. Yes, we talked about last week. How do you do when people correct you, whether it's God correct you, a friend correct you, your boss correct you? And I won't ask for a show of hands. But I bet you, if you took this seriously, if you're like me, God gave you many opportunities this week to see how correctable you are, okay? And God provided opportunities for me, certainly, okay? There was one at the beginning of the week where I totally misjudged someone, okay? There was someone that I thought I had him pegged as something or other, and I realized, you know what? I was completely wrong, and I had to see whether or not, like, I felt God was saying, you preach correctable on Sunday? Well, on Monday, I'm telling you, you're wrong about this person. What are you going to do about it? Even worse than that, okay, a couple days ago, my wife corrected me, which is the true, like, kryptonite for every husband, okay? I was disciplining my daughter for something or other, and my wife was like, you know what? You're a little bit rough on her, and I'm like, I'm not rough. She's like, she said, I know she is, but you were kind of rough. So then I had to apologize to my daughter, which no parent likes to do, and then even worse, 
I had to tell my wife. You're right. Because I can't preach this stuff on Sunday and then get called out on Thursday. So what I decided is I'm never preaching about humility ever again, okay? But the truth is, in the end, okay, as much as I joke, I'm actually thankful. I'm thankful that there's people around me to correct me. I'll give you a nice verse. This is the verse that was recited in our household all this week. I showed this verse to my kids, and we said this verse all throughout the week. It was Pro- Proverbs 12, 1. Because they know we're talking about correctability. We share the lessons with the kids. It said, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Here is a church-approved way to say the word stupid, and it's in the Bible. So anytime like, I would correct one of my children, the other would say, he who hates correction is... Okay, so that's a, and the truth of the matter is, I hope that you, like me, want to be corrected. You wish that you would be corrected because the goal is not to look good. The goal is to be good. The goal is not to look smart. The goal is to be smart. The goal was not for me when I said my friend who I misjudged and I told others a certain judgment about him. The goal was not to look like I'm the smartest guy because if our goal is to look like the smartest guy, don't apologize and don't say that you're wrong. I don't take the correction. My goal is not to look like the smartest guy. My goal is to be the smartest guy. And if your goal is to look, to appear wise, smart, good, whatever, right, your goal is to look right and appear right, then don't accept correctability. But if your goal is to actually be right, then we want to be corrected. So there's no problem here for us. Last week we looked at this verse. This is kind of the, the, the theme of last week, Isaiah 57, 15. Why do we need to be, build on humility? Because thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble heart. That's what we want. We want him to dwell with us. Well, he dwells with a contrite and humble heart. He revives the spirit of the humble and he revives the heart of the contrite ones. Last week, we looked at people who didn't get this correctability thing right. We saw how Adam and Eve didn't get this thing right. And they forgot that they were humus. We said the word humility comes from the word humus, means dust, ashes. They forgot they were humans. They thought they were something. They ended up losing the presence of God. We saw Lucifer the same way, that he was not happy with this much. What he had, he wanted more. He was striving for himself. And we said the one who is truly humble, who will live with God, cannot be striving for more, okay, but realize who they truly are and admit when they make a mistake. That was last week. That was the foundation. If humility is the foundation of a spiritual revival, if humility is the foundation, you cannot have a revival without this. Like if you look at it like, like a, a building of a house. If humility is the foundation, the second virtue or exercise we're going to talk about today is not the foundation, but it's the first floor. It's that you get nowhere in the house of God without this particular virtue. There is no relationship with God without humility. And on top of that, honesty. We're going to talk about honesty today. True story. I was ordained as a priest back in 2001, back in November, just after September 11th. So I saw at a time, okay, for those who kind of go back historically here, back when, before September 11th, airports were not controlled by TSA. There was no TSA. It wasn't federal. It was each was locally operated. So that's good in some places, but you could go to some, you know, middle of nowhere airport, okay, and those people never seen anyone who isn't blonde hair, blue eyes, and they think everyone is Osama bin Laden. Okay, so at a time where before it was like kind of federally controlled, and you had a certain level, a standard level, airports were a difficult place to go to if you're someone who looked like me. All right, and I am very respectful. I'm very kind. Like, I want you to check 
everybody who goes on that plane because I'm about to sit on that plane. So check me, but just make sure you check all the other guys. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. And I got nothing in my pockets and I'm like super friendly. Yes, sir, this, sir, whatever. But sometimes people go a little bit over, but that's okay. Anyway, there was one time in particular, probably the year was probably 2005, six, seven, somewhere around there. And I'm getting on, about to board an airplane. I'm going through security. And like I said, I'm there like well in advance. Okay, this is before pre-check and all that kind of stuff. I'm there in advance, and I'm ready. I'm ready to spend like the afternoon there. Okay, okay, because I'm 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 fine. I understand. You got a job to do. I, I understand. I go through the thing. All right, never beeps. Okay, this is before the thing. Okay, it doesn't beep because I have nothing in my pocket. Okay, but then they, you know what I mean? Uh, excuse me, sir. I need to pat you down. I say sure, no problem. No pat me down. And then they pat me down. They got nothing because I got nothing in my pocket. And then you know, okay, stand over here. Stand over here. And then you know, two converse. Blah, 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 blah. And then the other one come over and says, pat me down. Hey, no problem, man. Pat me down. They hate patting me down, okay, because I wear a robe, okay? It's like kind of awkward, okay, because you don't know where stuff begins and ends, okay? So, so I'm just like, do what you got to do, man. <laughs> like, I, I'm not, you know what I mean? So anyway, so the second guy comes and pats me down. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, that's fine. I'm, you know, taking my time. But I got nothing. And then they go talk to some third guy. And third guy's like, is this your bag? And I'm like, that's my bag. And they say, can we take apart your bag? Take apart whatever you want. What is this? What is that? Apparently, long story short, after as, it's probably spent like 20 minutes there, something in my phone, okay, they, they took my cell phone. This is back when cell phones came apart. All right, so I guess there was some powder or lotion or something. Okay, it's probably around the time of anthrax. I don't remember what the, the crisis was at the time, but something in my phone and the battery was concerning to them. And they had to like rub it down and whatever they had to do with it. This is back, I remember I had a trio. Okay, those things came in like a million different pieces. And they searched it, and they looked, and they made sure, and they asked me a thousand questions. They looked in my bag, looked all up and down me, and they wasted 20 minutes of their time and my time. And then finally they said, go ahead, sir. Let me ask you a question. Why did they do all that? Why did they waste all that time? They could have asked me, and I'd have told them, no, everything's fine. They could have just asked me, are you a terrorist? I'd have said, no. You got any explosive? I'd have said, no. Why did they waste 20 minutes of their time, pat me up and down, go through the thing a thousand times, and take the phone apart in a million different pieces? Why? Simple. Because they wanted to know what was on the inside. And before letting me enter into this space, they had to make sure there was nothing dangerous on the inside. I told them on the outside, everything is fine. But they didn't take my word for it. And they didn't trust just what they saw on the outside. They wanted to go deeper to make sure there was no hidden danger inside that they couldn't see from the surface. That's what we're going to do this week spiritually. We all need to go through God's metal detector this week. God's pat down. And God may ask us some tough questions. God's going to look in some nooks and crannies. But we need to go deep inside and see if there's anything inside that's danger. Here's our theme verse for the week. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Say that with me. Say, let's say that all together. Say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. This week, what we are going to say is we are going to say, search me, O God. Go ahead and pat me down. And God says, let me see that. Okay, go ahead. And I need to ask this. And we're going to let God look at whatever he wants. And we're going to go through the inspection process. Search me, O God, and know if there's any wicked way inside me. At the airport, I was just getting on an airplane, and they asked me a thousand questions. They patted me down three times, okay, and they took apart all my stuff, and they wasted 20 minutes of their time, and they probably followed me to my gate, and they may even be following me right now for all I know. 
but it was worth it because they had to make sure that I was safe getting on a plane. Well, spiritually, if we want to see God, the only way that we will see God is we must uncover what's on the inside. Said another way, I must be honest about my true spiritual condition. I must be honest about my true spiritual condition. Now you say, that's easy. Easy to be honest about my true spiritual condition. Well, I say no. I say the truth is, our instinct as human beings is to do the opposite, is to hide our true spiritual condition, to cover up, to make excuses, to justify. We think that not going to the doctor means that you're not sick. I didn't go to the doctor, therefore I can't be sick. If I don't go to the dentist, that means I don't have a cavity. If I don't step on a scale, that means I still weigh what I weighed in 1996. But it ain't so. And it ain't so with our spiritual lives either. Just because you don't know what's inside you doesn't mean there's nothing inside you. It just means simply that you don't know. One time, true story. True story, show you human nature. True story. I, there was a guy who found a lump on his body in a very private area. And he wouldn't go to the doctor. I said, I said what do you mean? Like, why you come tell me? Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I said, go to a doctor. And he said, no. He said, no, it's probably nothing. He was too scared to see what's really on the inside. So he thought, problem is gone. There it goes. Don't see any problem anymore. That's what we do spiritually all the time. We think that if we do this, look, I got no problems. And they say, no, over there. No, there's nothing. There's a problem there. Nope, not over there. As long as we don't look at it, there's no, no problem. Well, I'm telling you that not going to the doctor doesn't mean you're not sick. And not looking inside doesn't mean that you're not sick spiritually either. You know who taught us to do this? Go back to the very, very beginning. All of our father and mother, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, after they ate from the forbidden fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they did what? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They covered their sin from God. God was the only one around. Who, it was me and her, and she knew and I knew, and we're covering up from God. Like next verse, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve hid. Adam and Eve covered up themselves, and we've been doing the same thing ever since. We think that if I don't go to confession, I don't examine myself, means I got no problem. If I don't ever take the time and say, do I have a problem with pride? Do I have a problem with greed? Do I have a problem with lust? We think if I don't ever ask myself those questions, I don't ever see it, that means it simply doesn't exist. The one who doesn't expose himself to the doctor will never find healing. Logic. You can't go to the doctor and say, doctor, I need healing. And he says, for what? And I say, Guess. That person will never find healing. And the person who wants God to heal them, who wants God to revive their heart, but is unwilling to uncover, to go deep, to ask questions, will never find it. Because this is the truth of life, people. God won't heal what I don't admit. God won't heal what I don't admit. God will not heal what I refuse to admit. So unless, until you're ready to admit the problem, 
and see the problem for what it is, as a problem, as a threat, as a danger, you're probably not going to find healing. We're going to look at an example from the Old Testament of a guy named Jacob. Jacob was a great patriarch, but Jacob wasn't always so great. Jacob, as his name means, the name Jacob means deceiver or someone who uh, contends with others, meaning he was a not the most honest of guy. And Jacob got this name, okay? Back in the Old Testament, your name was like your character. It was more than just your name. Like your name like kind of defined who you were. So Jacob, from a young age, was a cheater. And there's the famous story of how Jacob swindled his own brother out of a blessing from his father. So Jacob didn't steal like a pencil at recess. Jacob didn't like take his brother's tennis shoes. Jacob stole a blessing, a birthright, that was given to him by his father. We'll read that story right here in Genesis 27, verse 18. So he, Jacob, went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. This is pretty low. It's one thing to trick your dad. It's one thing to steal from your brother. But he tricked his dad in order to steal from his brother. If you'd have asked Jacob, Jacob, why'd you do this? What would Jacob have said? You think Jacob would have said, I'm a bad, I'm a deceiver, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat? He said, Esau got it, had it coming to him. No good bully me when I was a kid. This is what he deserved. And, and, and my father, Isaac, man, the old man's been favoring him ever since the first days. So this just was rightfully mine. He never gave me any attention. Go look, there's no pictures of me in the house, just of the older boy. He'd have convinced himself he didn't convince himself, you know what? I prayed and God wanted me to do it. I prayed. I prayed and said, God, if you don't want me to do it, then make the Father not give me the blessing. I'm going to sneak and cheat. And if he's not from you, God, then make him not. And Jacob could have convinced himself, just like me and you. No problem here. Everything's fine right here. And make excuses. Well, parents, you understand this. If your kid makes a mistake, that's okay. Kid makes multiple mistakes. That's okay. But when your kid doesn't admit the mistake, that's not okay. And as a parent, I can deal with mistakes, but I can't deal with lack of honesty about those mistakes. So God one day felt the same way, and God said, Jacob, enough is enough. We need to hash this thing out right now. And God confronted Jacob, WWF style. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and a man with a capital M. Anytime you see capital M, man, means not a man, means like God in the form of a man, or angel. Okay, capital A, angel, means like what we would call a pre-incarnate Christ, like an, a God appearing before incarnation, but don't worry about that. A man, meaning God, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. A man wrestled with him. This story has always intrigued me. What is it like for God to wrestle a man? I grew up on the WWF, the Ultimate Warriors, the Hulk Hogan's, the Rowdy Roddy Piper, the Jimmy Superfly Snuggers. I understand wrestling, okay? What must it have been like for God to wrestle a man? We don't like to think of God wrestling men. We like to think of God encouraging, of God supporting, hugging, smiling. But this clearly says that God came to Jacob in a weak moment. And God didn't run like this. God ran like this. And God was ready to wrestle him. 
The word wrestle, again, I'm just going back to WWF, means I'm going to cause you a little bit of pain. It means I'm going to make you surrender. I'm going to give you enough pain where you say, I quit. I can't take this no more. And that's what it says that God did with Jacob. Because see, Jacob his whole life, like many of us here today, Jacob his whole life was running from himself. Jacob was running. And every time God tried to confront him, Jacob, a sneaky little guy, sneak over here. And God tried to get him in a sermon. He snuck over here. That's not for me. And then he read a verse in the Bible. That's for him with this so-and-so. And every time God tried to catch him, he would sneak away. So finally God said, that's it. I got you here, and I'm not letting go of you. And I'm telling you, he does that to us. But if you are not willing to confront yourself, God will paint you into a corner. He will cause a little bit of pain in your life. And that pain is not to hurt. That pain is actually to heal, which we'll see in a minute. But it hurts before the healing comes. Next verse. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, meaning Jacob was a feisty guy, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. God left a mark. God caused him some pain. Why would God do this? A wise man once said, most of us, we don't change because we see the light. We change because we feel the heat. And what God was doing here, because he loved Jacob, was turning up the temperature on Jacob. And the funny thing, the ironic thing, I think if you were to go to Jacob at that time, and Jacob is wrestling with this guy, Jacob would say, God, where are you? And God would say, I'm right here. I'm the guy who's got you in the headlock. God, save me from the headlock. I'm the one giving you the headlock. God, save me from this man who's painting me into a corner. I'm the one with the paintbrush in my hand. And did you ever think, did you ever think that the circumstances and the events in your life, which are painting you in a corner, are not God, please take it away, and not even God allows these things, but God is causing these things. Did you ever think that for a second? Because that's not how we think. We think bad thing, God take it away. Thing that hurts me, God take it away. Thing that, that my boss down my throat, God take it away. Well, I'm telling you that maybe, sometime, not all the time. Don't no one take this and say it all the time, because it's not all the time some of the time, do you think that it was maybe God himself was chasing after you to get you to stop running away and to get you to admit the truth about yourself? I'll give you a verse to back up my opinion, because I know you can sit there and say, I disagree with that. that. God would never do that. Let me show you a verse. We just read it last Sunday in the gospel last Sunday. It's from Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted 40 days by the devil. If you read the rest of this story, which we won't do, you'll know that during this time, Jesus faced his toughest days on his earth. So much so that the Son of God was weak and had to be ministered to by angels. Angels, I told you all this before. Angels, servants, God, master. Angels, servants, God, master. A master, think about we as, as parents with our children. We don't like to look weak in front of our children. Christ was weak in front of angels, so much so that he said, angels, I need a hand. God was weak. Christ was weak in front of angels. What made Christ weak? Devil? Two things that it says. It says he was filled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. You would never say filled by the Spirit plus led by the Spirit equals tempted by the devil. You would never say that. You would say when I'm filled by the Spirit, promotion. When I'm led by the Spirit, 
Every relationship goes exactly the way I want. That's what you would say. But he says right here, filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, equals tough situation. Why? Because God won't heal what I won't admit. God won't heal what I won't admit. And maybe some of the time, maybe some of the time, maybe the relationships that aren't going right, maybe the job that isn't going right, maybe whatever sin that I just can't, maybe, maybe it's not everyone else. Maybe it's God trying to get my attention. What does he want when he gets my attention? He's got his attention right here. Verse 27, the story continues. After he wrestled him, he touched his hip and he left a mark. So he, God, God said to him, what is your name? And he said to him, Jacob. Now, like I said earlier, name in the Old Testament means more than name. It doesn't mean like, hey, what do I call you? It doesn't mean like, what's your nickname? Name means who are you, your character. And when God said to Jacob, who are you? What is your name? Jacob came face to face with who he truly was. And Jacob in that moment said, I am Jacob. I'm a deceiver. And I think that when Jacob said that, it all came back. All the people he had cheated. All the people he had deceived. People he had swindled. We know that he deceived his brother and his father and his uncle. So we can most likely deduce that if he's willing to cheat the people close to him, he probably cheated a lot more people other than that. And he probably was a deceiver in the marketplace, probably in, in every aspect of his work life. Like he cheated the guy in the street. This is who Jacob was. And God corners him and said, Jacob, you are not escaping today. Who are you? Tell me who you are. Don't make excuses. Don't tell me Esau. Don't tell me your dad. Don't tell me your uncle. And Jacob said, you know what? I'm a cheater. I'm a deceiver. For the first time in his life, he came face to face. If God wrestled you tonight and said, you're not leaving until you answer me this question, what is your name? What would you say? Just between me and you. You don't need to admit it to your wife. You need to tell your friends. Just between me and you. I need to know who you are. Who are you? Lust? Anger? Greed? Some of us, if we're honest, let's be honest, some of us would have to say, you know what? I'm selfish. Every relationship that goes sour, I blame the other person. But in the end, I'm a selfish person. And that's why my relationships never go right. I need to be honest. Stop blaming the other person. Stop saying it's my parents. I'm a selfish person. I care about me more than I care about anybody else. I'm being honest. Some of us would need to say, I, my name is bitter. I'm a bitter person. I've been praying about this. God hasn't given it to me. And I do the right thing. And I say the right thing on the outside. But deep inside, I don't believe that God is really doing, holding up his end of the bargain. He has let me down. I'm bitter, I'm resentful, and I don't feel good about that. Some would say, my name is angry. I'm angry. So-and-so hurt me, and I'll say that I forgive them, but I don't forgive them. And I'm never letting go of this. They will pay, one way or the other. Even if it's just inside my heart, I will never let them go. What's your name? 
But God cornered you tonight. No running. Oh, God, I need to read something. No, don't read the Bible. Oh, I need to go do this. Uh, no, don't do that. Oh, I need to do that. Sit. We got time. If the first lesson of revival last week was humility, to know who I am. The second lesson is honesty. It's to know what's inside of who I am. The first lesson was to know that I'm dust, that I'm dirt, I'm humus, I'm nothing. God is everything, I am nothing. And then the second thing is to know what is inside me. And that's the step of honesty. By the looks on y'all's faces and the fact that you can hear a pin drop in this room, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. Because we all know that we got stuff inside of us. And all of us are kind of scared to go through that metal detector. It's kind of scary to be exposed. Two things to remember as you go through this process. Two thoughts, okay? And I just go through them kind of quickly here. First thing to remember as you go through God's metal detector, no sin is too big to be forgiven. No sin is too big to be forgiven. No sin is too big. I'm only going to spend a minute or two on this because this, you know this. That's why you're here today. Because you know there's forgiveness. And this morning we read the story of the prodigal son. Big mistake, no problem. Samaritan woman, no problem. Levi, no problem. Samaritan, uh, the sinful woman, the, the adulterous woman, no problem. Mary Magdalene, seven demons, no problem at all. No sin is too big to be forgiven. And you don't need to outthink yourself on this one. Take this at face value. No sin is too big to be forgiven. I'm going to show you a logical verse. Okay, this is one of my favorite verses because it's one time where the Old Testament appeals not to your emotions, but to your logic. Look what, look what Isaiah says in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together. This speaks to me. Let's go logic, okay? Forget about spiritual and forget about faith. Let's go logic, says the Lord. Though your skins are like skins, no, sins, okay? Skins is a different story. Okay, I had a rough week, okay? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Let's go logic. Let's go logic. You have a problem with sin. What fixes sin? Savior. Savior means one who fixes sin. Is there a Savior in the room? Yes, God says, I'm a Savior. So you have sin. I'm Savior. No problem. Look, let's just go logic. You don't need to outthink yourself on this one. You have a marker. I have a marker eraser. Like everything that you have a problem with, I have the solution for. So don't outthink yourself. Sometimes we're afraid to look at what's inside because we say, how can I face God? No, 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 no. That's in fact the best thing to face God with. That's the best thing to face God with. You don't need to worry about facing God because he's got the eraser to whatever it is you uncover. So as you start this process, no sin is too big to be forgiven. Don't be afraid to uncover it. The only sin that cannot be erased is the one that is not admitted. The only disease that is not healed is the one that is not confessed. No sin is too big to be forgiven. But number two, the second side of that coin, no sin is too small to be ignored. No sin is too small to be ignored. As the expression goes, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Big ship, small leak. Who wins? Leak wins every time. Big mansion, small termite. Termite win every time. Spiritual giant. Man of God, woman of God, giant, unconfessed, unadmitted, left alone sin, small sin. Who wins? Songs chapter 2, verse 15, catches the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. It doesn't take 
much more than a small sin left alone to knock down the biggest spiritual giant. The reason why? Look what it says here. James chapter 2, verse 10. It says, Whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And you say, that doesn't sound fair. Is that fair or not fair? Keep the whole law but mess up one and you get in trouble? Yeah. You get pulled over for speeding. But I paid my taxes on time. So what? Stole from a bank. But I, 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 I never jaywalked. Oh, okay. You break one law. It doesn't matter that you were good in the 99 others. You break one, you go to jail. That's logic. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual lives. You say, no, no, no. I got little lies. No, no, no. I just gossip a little. No, 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 no. I forgive most people. Little sin, big spiritual giant, little sin wins every time. Who's the best example of this? David. Y'all know David. David, as far as giants go, David is the top. He was slight of stature physically, but spiritually, he received compliments that no one else received. He was called by God, a man after my own heart. God didn't say that by anybody else. He said after David. Even more so, what always touches my heart is that Christ, when he came in the New Testament, was humble enough to say, I am the son of David. Who are you? Son of David. Son of David. Son of David. Lineage of David. Son of David. David was the top. David was a giant. And David killed giants like Goliath. But David had an ugly episode in his life. His episode with Bathsheba. When he committed adultery, he covered it up with a lie and conspiracy. He ended up having the, the husband of Bathsheba, who was married, had him murdered. So, like, that's lying, that's adultery, and that's murder. Like, there's, like, ten big commandments. That's a third of them. But when did David's sin begin? When he had adultery, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? David's sin began as a small little leak way back in the day. David had multiple wives before Bathsheba. He had multiple wives. You say, well, everyone in the Old Testament had multiple wives. Everyone had multiple wives, and God kind of said, okay, I'll allow it for some people. But look at here what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17. God, from the very beginning, said, when you come to the land which the Lord God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it, and, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Okay, fine. But he, that king, shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, neither shall he multiply wives for himself. God's law was clear way before David. That, okay, you know what? I'll turn my, my, my head and say, you know what? That guy has multiple wives. And that guy. But when you have a king, because one day you're going to ask for a king, that king shall not have multiple wives. Why, God? Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. God said, if you have a king, and that king has multiple wives, it's going to be bad news. David had multiple wives, and it was bad news. And his son Solomon had multiple wives, and that was bad, bad news. So David started to say, you know what? I'm going to have a second wife. Everyone around me is having a second wife. And then here's what he did next. Here's what he did next, which you and I do all the time. Here's what he did next. I married a second wife. 
No lightning struck. Kingdom is still prospering. Everything seems to be okay. Take a third wipe. No problem. Still everything is fine. Take a fourth wipe. Everything is fine. David had proved, this is how we think, had proved that it's no big deal. That it's not a big deal. That yes, I have this inside me, but it's not that big a deal. Look here, man. The fact that you're sitting there at your dinner table and, you, and your termite is not interrupting you doesn't mean that you're okay. The fact that you're sitting there on the Titanic and the leak is coming, you say, hey, that's great. The floors are dirty. We need to wash. The fact that you haven't sunk yet doesn't mean that the leak is not a problem. The fact that the house hasn't crumbled doesn't mean the termites have a problem. It just means it's coming. And when it comes, it's going to be a big fall. That's exactly what we saw with David. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Like I said, adultery leads to lying. Lying leads to conspiracy to murder. Conspiracy to murder leads to murder and cover up. And look what David says at that time. This is Psalm 32. He's referencing this time when he sinned before he confessed his sin. He said, when I kept silent, Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. What does that sound like? Your hand was heavy upon me. Draw me a picture of what it would look like or someone else who may have experienced God's hand heavy upon him. Sounds like wrestling, doesn't it? Sounds like God was wrestling David. Why? Because he was silent. He had this sin, and he wasn't admitting it. So God said, you know what, David? I love you. As the expression goes, God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. So God's hand was heavy upon him. He painted him to a corner. Look at the next verse. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. I was honest. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did he do? Back to point number one. He forgave the iniquity of my sin. Like, that's it. No sin is too big to be forgiven. But I had to acknowledge. And I had to stop hiding. Advice? You want some advice? Don't wait for a little sin to become a big sin. Deal with it while it's a little sin. Don't wait. Don't wait for the little leak to become a big leak. It's only going to get worse. Leaks don't fix themselves. Don't wait for the little termite to become a big termite. Termites bring more termites. Do not wait for a little sin, a little disobedience, to become a big disobedience. Because I guarantee you it will if left alone. How many of us, without show of hands, how many of us today wish that we could go back in time we could go back in time when something was small and we could change it. An apology that we wouldn't say. And we wish we could go back and say that apology. Wish we could go back and a friendship we could have just walked away from. A relationship we could have walked away from. How many of us wish we could go back in time when something was small and manageable and deal with it? Well, I'm telling you that today is that someday for another time in the future. That today is the day where something is small today. And years from now, you're going to look back and say, not I wish I had, but how thankful I am. How thankful I am that I nipped that relationship in the bud. Because I see so many other people who are struggling and blinded and entrenched and enslaved. I'm so thankful I nipped that in the bud. 
I am so thankful that I was able to humble myself and say, you know what? Let bygones be bygones. Forgive me. I'm so, I'm so thankful that I was able to not respond to that email. Don't wait for little sins to become big sins. Because once the weed is in the garden, that weed is going to grow. We got too much at stake here. We saw how David ignored and the problem and led him into. Let's go back to J- Jacob and wrap our story here. And Jacob, when faced with his name, did not ignore. He confronted himself. He said, I am a Jacob. I am a deceiver. I am a liar. And it says this in verse 28. And he, God, said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Again, the name means something. So Jacob meant liar. And God says, you're no more Jacob. Why? Because you were honest. Now you are Israel. And Israel means prince with God. And God changed him right there on the spot. Or we can say, maybe another way, is God revived him right there on the spot as soon as he was honest. Verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to Peniel means face, face of God. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. He saw God. He had a revival, a new identity, a new person was formed this day. Fallow ground was broken. Old soil became fertile. Why? Because honesty leads to revival. You will never find revival without honesty. You said that you want freedom. You said that you want spiritual growth. You said you want to see God. Remember in the beginning we said the solution to your problem is not the solution to your problem. Finding God is the solution to your problem. We said we don't need solutions. We need God in our problem. And you said that's what you want. And I said, we're going to go on this journey. It's going to be tough. And like the, the video, personal trainer, do exercise you don't want to do. You said, I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing. Well, now I'm pinching you in a tough spot. And I'm saying you need to sit and wrestle with God and see who you really are and be honest. And that's going to prove whether or not you truly want to see God. And you truly want revival. Or you just want to play the game on the outside right here. In verse 28, God said, I call you Israel. But verse 28 would not have happened unless verse 27 happened, where he said, my name is Jacob. You are Israel. But I have to be, I admit I'm Jacob. And if I'm not willing to do I am Jacob, then you will never hear you are Israel. Said another way, analogy that I've kind of been using the past couple weeks is the soil to the seed. God wants to give seed, but you got to get the soil ready. And I am Jacob is get your soil ready and mix up the stuff and it hurts, but then you get the seed of that you are Israel. We want the seed, but God's waiting for the soil to be prepared. I want to finish up with two verses. In each of these verses, I could speak forever on, but I'm not. I'm going to speak one minute on each verse because each verse speaks volumes. But I want you to carry these two verses with you throughout this week. First John, chapter 5. Look what this beautiful, or chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. It says, God is light. God is light. And there's no hidden stuff. Dark, not dark, God is light. And in him is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say, he's more blunt here, saying, in case you wonder what that means, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But you know what? 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see what St. John is saying? He's saying the problem is not God to remove the sin. That's easy. Savior, specialty, remove sin. The problem is you and me to admit the sin and not deceive ourselves. The healthiest people in the world, both in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense, the healthiest people in the world are the people who are honest about their weaknesses. The people who are honest about their weaknesses are those who are the healthiest, both in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense, which is what we care much more about right here. Second verse. Psalm 15, verse 1 and 2. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? That's what we all want. Who? He whose walk is blameless and does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. You see, when I said honesty at the beginning, some of you probably thought I was talking about telling the truth. I'm not talking about telling the truth. I'm talking about living the truth. This is not truth from your mouth, although that is important. This is truth from your heart about who I truly am. Not looking at the scale doesn't make me any thinner, and not looking at who I am doesn't change who I truly am. And the one who will find revival, the one who will live on God's hot, holy hill, dwell in his sanctuary, is not the one who doesn't make mistakes. Because mistakes we can solve. It's not about not making mistakes. It's the one who's honest about those mistakes and honest about his true condition and goes to the doctor and says, you know what? Search me. Try me. And see if there's any wicked way inside me. And I am prepared for the worst. And I am prepared because I know there's bad stuff. And I want to be healed. I don't want to look good. I want to be good. I don't want to appear to everyone to be healthy and everything is fine. I don't want to appear to myself to be healthy. I want to be truly healthy. And the only way to do that is to be honest. I challenge you this week. Okay, we're here doing in the middle of this series. We're not just doing this as a Sunday kind of a thing. We're doing life groups. Right? And those who are in life groups, there's a good number here. We're going deeper as we, as we go through this life group thing. And I'm going to urge you from the bottom of my heart, man, don't just go through the motions. Don't just answer the questions. Like, go deeper. And challenge yourself, okay, to really be honest. I'm not saying you've got to expose your deepest, darkest secrets to your life group. But, man, be honest, okay, and go deeper and challenge yourself. And then I'm going to challenge you even a step further, something everyone can do even if you didn't sign up for a life group is the daily Bible reading. What we're doing together is we're reading a small passage from the Bible every single day, okay? And those passages are hitting the exact topic that we're talking about. I'm gonna challenge you to go deeper, okay? And to challenge yourself, not just accept what's on the outside, but to go through God's metal detector. Say, search me and try me and figure out if there's any wicked way. Because Man, I don't wanna look good. I wanna be good. And the only way that you will heal, you won't heal what I won't admit. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you paint us into corners sometimes, and even though we hate it at the time, but we know, Lord, you do it to heal us. Just as you wrestled Jacob, Lord, and you forced him to a place where he had nowhere to run and nowhere to hide and no excuses to make and nobody to blame. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to get to that same place, hopefully less painfully, Hopefully we can get there, Lord, and face the little sins that are inside of us before they become big sins. Maybe they're already big sins. Give us the courage to be able to admit them, knowing, Lord, that you are full of grace and there's no sin that's too big for you to forgive, but also no sin that's too small for you to ignore. Help us, Lord, to truly be honest with ourselves, to continue our vir the virtue of humility and build on top of that the practice of honesty so that you, Lord, can do a great revival 
inside all of our lives. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the prayers of all of your saints. Here, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.